God wants you to experience the life that He designed. We can't allow life to kill the dream that we dream. Jesus said, I have come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. You will look back on your life and you'll say, man, life is good. The Word of God brings the abundant life into focus and within your grasp. As you listen, open your heart and discover life. Pastor Steve. Praise God. Thank you, Lord. <clears throat> well, God's good. Amen. Looks like everybody decided to take, uh, take a break and go out into the nice weather, huh? Finally, the sun. I said, what's that big red thing in the sky there? Oh, that's the sun. I haven't seen that for so long. Can't, can't remember what it was. Well, if you have your Bibles, I want you to open them with me, please, to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. And um, so last week I started talking to you about um, the road that we're traveling on. And uh, I titled this message today, Every Road Has a Destination. And uh, it's important that we understand you know, the road that we, and we analyze or look at the road that we're traveling on or the way that we're living our lives. Our life is a collection of decisions that we make, and that sets up, you know, habits that we form, and that determines the course that we're going to take and, and where we're going to end up. And a lot of times, you know, you've heard people who come to the end of their life, and they're, they, reg- they have regret because they, uh, this isn't where they wanted to end up. They're, they're at a wrong destination. But, you know, you can't uh, blame the destination. What you have to do is you have to look at and examine the pathway or the road that you're taking. And so in the early church, Christianity was called the way. In fact, it's mentioned there several times, the way. And you can read through the Old Testament, and there's so many verses that talk about the Christian life or the believer's life as a way. Um, It's not a solution. It's not like the solution. It's the way. Even though God has and does bring solutions to problems, it's not really meant to be a solution because a solution a lot of times is like a bailout. You know, you get yourself in trouble and all of a sudden here comes Jesus and he bails you out. And then part of the problem is the problems that we get into sometimes, the reason we're in those problems are because of the way or the direction that we're taking for our life, the deliberate decisions that we're making. And so sometimes the solution is pick a different way, right? You're going down the wrong, you're going the wrong way. You're on the wrong path. In fact, in Proverbs 4, it talks about, and I'm talking to Christians now. Christians can be Christians and still be on the wrong, in the, on the wrong path. And I remember years ago, after I first got saved, you know, when I, when I got saved, I had lots of problems, and some of the things l- disappeared right away. Some of the problems I had disappeared right away. And uh, Jesus was the solutions, you could say. But there were a few things that had kind of hung on. I've kind of told you about those things. But one thing that hung on was I was a very rebellious person. I was a rebellious kid. I was a rebellious teenager. I was a re- rebellious young adult. And it manifested itself in a lot of ways. One way it manifested itself is the way I drove my car. I was a crazy person. I mean, I can't even believe nowadays if I rode with somebody that drove like me, I would probably call the police and have them locked up because I drove like a crazy person. And uh, the job I had at the time is I was a cook at a restaurant, and the restaurant closed at 11, and so I didn't get home. You know, so usually late at night, my folks lived, I lived with them. They lived out in the country, and so there was nobody around. It's a country road. I mean, I would drive... 120 miles an hour. I mean, that was very common. And, you know, I'd been in work all day. And I wanted to let down my hair and whatever. And, and so I had a pretty fast car. So I just went like a crazy person. So all of a sudden, God began to talk to me about, you need to submit to authority. You need to submit to policemen. You need to submit to, because I grew up in kind of the hippie movement. Remember, we used to call policemen pigs and things like that. It was very a rebellious society. I lived by San Francisco during the the, you know, the love-hate or the love-hippie movement. Some of you guys know already, probably never heard about it, but that's where I lived. And so I got kind of wrapped up and caught up in that spirit of that age. And so God began to speak to me about obeying traffic laws and, uh, and, that, and speed limit. I mean, speed limit. I remember one time when, when God spoke to me, he said, it says speed limit. It's not speed suggestion, it's speed limit. This is the limit. When it says 70 miles an hour is the speed limit. 
This is all you can drive is 70. That's the limit. You can drive less than that, but you, that's the limit. And I'm sitting there going, nah, I don't think so. And, and so a couple times, I mean, I heard a sermon on it, and I felt like God spoke to me when I was, when I was praying. And so I still just said, no, nah, I'm not going to do it. So you know what happened? I had no speeding tickets. I had a lot of speeding violations and before I got my license and a lot of traffic accidents before I got my license. But I was doing pretty good after I got my license, but I didn't get any speeding tickets. All of a sudden, within a 60-day period, I got three speeding tickets. And the last one, the guy was going to give me a reckless driving ticket, but he decided not to, but he clocked me at 90. He said he didn't clock me because he couldn't catch me. If I wouldn't have slowed down, he would have never caught me. But he, he gave me a ticket for a 90 and a 60. And so I lost my license. I think I can't remember how long it was. It was like 90 days or 60 days I lost my driver's license. Well, I, my folks lived out in the country, and I worked downtown Minneapolis. So I had no ride to work, and I had to keep my job because I had all these bills that I'm still paying off for my, the life I lived before I got saved. So I had to keep this job. So you know what I ended up doing? I ended up sleeping on friends' sofas. And then when they got tired of me, I, and one time I slept in the basement of a apartment complex in downtown Minneapolis on a couch that somebody had thrown away. And I slept there until somebody came down and saw me there and called the cops and said, there's a homeless man sleeping <laughs> on a sofa in the basement. Then I slept at our church. I slept, I, I, uh, they had given me a key to the church because I prayed. And so they gave me, so I slept at the church at night. And so I slept, this is how I lived my life for several weeks. But you know what? I learned something in that. I learned that I need to take a different path. How many of you see what I'm saying? I can't just say, Lord, I need you to give me favor with the judge. I need you to get me off of this speeding ticket. God goes, I don't think so. You're going to have to learn to take a different path. You know, I don't like learning lessons that way. When God talks to you about stuff, we need to respond, right? And, and so sometimes the solution, Jesus is the solution. The solution is take a different path. And the Bible makes it very clear that we should examine the pathway that our feet are taking, the decisions that we're making. Some of the problems, not all of the problems, but some of the problems that we have in our life are self-inflicted. Thank you for your enthusiasm. You can't continue on this pathway and expect different results because your destination is tied to the road that you're walking on. I heard a guy say one time that an unexamined life is not worth living. An unexamined life is not worth living. And it's truly true that if a person never examines the path that he takes, his life becomes, one, becomes very frustrating. And so it's very important for us all of us, to examine the pathway that we're walking on, the road that we're walking on. I find this is true, that a lot of times when we're on the wrong path, uh, it, one of the signs is that we have immediate gratification. It seems like the wrong direction gives, it's like, which, like when you eat the wrong kind of food, it, it's, it's like it, it's, it's really good, it tastes good. You know, last week I was talking about eating at McDonald's. You know, nobody will admit that. I like McDonald's. I'm just going to tell you, I don't eat there very much because people would put me on a lower rung of society and they wouldn't have any respect for me. But I like McDonald's. In fact, one time I was preaching in Japan and we had this, we, it was a disaster of a service. The, the person they assigned as my interpreter, I was talking to her before we went to the meeting because I wanted her to be on the same page as me. And, uh, and she goes, well, English and Japanese is not my main language. Chinese, is she because they kind of look the same to me, but she goes, I'm Chinese. I go, oh. She goes, English and Japanese are my second language. I go, okay. So I knew I was in trouble when I got up and I said, man, are we ever excited to be here? It's awesome to be here. And she goes, what, what, what word awesome? I go, uh-oh, we're in trouble. And that's how the whole sermon went. Me preaching something and her going, what, what, what's that word mean? What, what's that word mean? What's this word? So the whole sermon was like, ah, trying to get into a flow was unbelievable. So you know what I did after that sermon? I got on the train and I went to McDonald's and I had a Big Mac and fries. <laughs> it was awesome. I mean, 
come on. Let's be honest. Let's be honest in this room, okay? It's Memorial Day. We can be honest, right? Is there any food that's better than a Big Mac? I don't think so. Come on. I can't even remember the last time I had a Big Mac. And I mean, come on, McDonald's fries? Are you kidding me? I mean, these are, this is incredible tasting food. But, of course, I saw the movie Supersize Me. How many saw that movie? Oh, you should watch that movie. But anyway, so I know, at least according to that movie, and I don't have scientific data on it, and I'm not even sure for, for positive sure, but I know it's, they say it's not good for you. But it, it tastes amazing, right? Okay, thank you for your enthusiasm. See, nobody, nobody will admit that. They'll, they'll, they won't admit that they eat at McDonald's. But somebody's eating there, right? It means five billion served. Somebody is eating at this place. But, but my point is, is that usually things that are probably not right give immediate gratification. That's why the Bible says the pleasures of sin are fun for a season. And the hard way or the right way, which is the hard way, generally is, uh, are things that um, don't give immediate gratification, but in the long run, they pay off huge dividends. They pay off huge div- dividends. So here's the thing. All of us, like I said, we, 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 uh, we have to examine the way. The Bible talks a lot about the way. It says the way of the transgressor is hard. It says there's a way that seems right unto a man, but the end is destruction. Uh, it talks in Psalms 1 about standing in the way of sinners. Uh, Joshua chapter 1 and verse 8, he says, you'll make your way prosperous. He's talking about the direction or the course, the pattern that your life is taking, the decisions that you're making determine the pathway that your, your life is on. And this is true like in every area. It's true financially. It's true with your health. It's true with your relationships. It's true with inward habits that you have. Worry. Worry is a, is a habit that people develop. They worry about everything. And it's a bad habit. They say physically it's against Scripture, but it's also physically it hurts you. They say there's certain diseases that are tied to worry. And some people just can't worry. Have you ever noticed how when you hang up or you're, you're going to leave somebody, you know what they always say? I don't know why they say this, but they say, take care. How many ever noticed that? You probably say that. Take care. The Bible says take no care. Take care. I don't know what that even means. Take care. In other words, load yourself up with as many cares, concerns, and worries as you possibly can and carry them around because you just never know what's going to happen. The Bible says the opposite. Cast your care. So you should say it like this. Cast your care. (laughs) But if you said that, they'd think you were a nutcase. Remember to cast your care. Don't take it. Cast it. Right? But our whole society is geared toward fear, anxiety, and to take more on. But that's a discipline that every single one of us needs to develop. Thinking positively about situations is a discipline that we have to develop. It's an inward discipline. Thinking the best of somebody. You know, it's amazing sometimes when people are in conflict, If you talk to them about the other person they're in conflict with, they know every fault that person has. How many know that you live with somebody that's flawed? How many know that's true? Well, you don't. Oh, good for you. You're sitting next to them. You can't say it. I got it. Okay. But my wife, I'll just say it like this. My wife lives with somebody that's flawed. How's that sound? But if she sat there and just looked at uh, and, and just magnified all my flaws, you know what? We wouldn't have a very good relationship. And so it's a habit, it's an inward habit that I have to focus and she has to focus on all the good attributes of my life. And of course, that's quite easy for her. I'm trying to help you guys a little bit, okay? So, but that's the thing about way. You know, all of us, we want our own way. We we, we want our own way. It's like Frank, 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 Frank Sinatra, I did it my way, right? But that's actually the definition of sin. It says, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to our own way. And so sometimes when we get our own way, we end up becoming, we end up uh, being in our own way and we become the obstacle to our own happiness, right? 
And so we have to understand that if we always get our own way, somewhere along the line, we're going to lose our way. I thought this was interesting one time when I was thinking about this. When I, if you ask people, if you ask most people what they want for, out of life, it's interesting that it's very similar to what God wants for them. That's amazing. What, what you want for your life and what God wants in most cases, I mean, there's some people that I mean, maybe they want crazy things, but, but most people, what they want is they want to be happy. I mean, you don't want to be miserable, right? You want to be happy. You want to be healthy. You want to physically be healthy. You don't want to go, yeah, I want to, I want to give five pounds a year for the next 20 years so that when I'm 45, it can be 100 pounds overweight. That's my goal. Nobody has that as a goal, right? Right? And so a lot of the things that we want, we want it to feel a sense of significance, they say that there's four things that, or five, I think it was five things that most people say make them happy. And one of them was to have more control over their life. In other words, their life's not out of control. They have more control over it. That, that they, um, they feel like it's, there's a certain degree of order and harmony to their life and to their relationships. We want to have, we want to be accepted. We want to feel good about ourselves. We want to feel like we've accomplished something. We want to feel, have significance. All those things God wants for you. The difference is that there is a way that you think that you'll get there to that destination. And there's a way that God thinks you'll get to that destination. And they're not the same. Right? So it's not the destination that's in question that we disagree on, you and God disagree on. The destination not, is not what's in question. The way is what's in question. You decide that this is the way to get there. If I get my way all the time, then I'll get there, and you won't get there. You just get in your way, and you'll be in the way to your happiness. You'll be the, you'll be the problem. You'll be the impediment to your happiness. It's not coming out straight, but can you understand what I'm saying? <laughs> There's too many way there to, to get it straight. But anyway, so that's why we have to adopt God's way. That's why we have to adopt God's way. That's what repentance is all about. And so let's look at this verse in Matthew chapter 7. That was all my introduction. That took 20 minutes. <laughs> Holy smokes, that took a long time. So Matthew chapter 7, verse 13 and 14, it says, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to life, or leads to destruction. Leads to destruction. And those who enter by that way are many, for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Now, this is a passage is a comparison. And I remember, I think I told you this last week, when I, we used to, the church I grew up in, they were kind of this, they had a little bit of a negative bent. It's like God was pretty mad at everybody and, and he, and he uh, thought that we were all in sin and Kind of, it was kind of a negative uh, picture of our lives. That's kind of how God looked at it. But if you look at this very carefully, he says that there are two gates, there are two ways, two destinations, and two results. First of all, he says there's a wide gate and there's a narrow gate. Two, two gates. The reason the gate to life is narrow, I said this to you last week, is because Jesus is the only way. That's what makes the gate narrow. There aren't like all roads lead to God. That's not true. All religious roads lead to God. It's not true. There's only one way. Jesus said that. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I'm the only way. And so that's why the gate is narrow. Jesus was talking when he said this to Jewish people uh, that maybe thought that there was a lot of different uh, verses or a lot of different things they can do. But Jesus is making very clear. If you want to get to the Father, I'm the only way. I'm the only way. You have to have faith in me. You have to receive me into your life. I'm the only way to heaven. If you want to be a good person, that won't get you there. If you want to keep the whole law, that won't get you there. There's only one way that will get you there, and that's me. That's why the gate is narrow. Okay? The second thing he says here is that one way is easy and one way is hard. So one way comes natural, comes natural. And the other way comes unnatural 
at least it's against our human nature. The other way is against our human nature. So what does that mean? Let me show you an example here. If you look at Matthew, because this sermon is, a, this passage is a part of a sermon called the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew chapter 5, listen to this. Talk about a heart. Listen to this. Matthew chapter 5, verse 43, it says, You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor, hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Everybody hear that? Love, how many know that's hard? I mean, he didn't say tolerate your enemies. He didn't say, he didn't say ignore your enemies. He said love your enemies. That is hard. I mean, he didn't say love this person that's kind of crazy. He said, you, you, how many, oh, I won't ask you that. But sometimes we have enemies. We have people in our mind that we think are enemies. Now, obviously, there's some people that you have to hold at arm's length because they're very toxic. But I'm talking about people that you, you could do something. You, you, and him don't, you and them don't get along very good. How many know what I mean? And he says, love your enemies. In other words, do something that is an act of love towards your enemies. That's why the way is hard. Amen. That's why the way is hard, because there are people in our lives that it's, they're hard to love. They're difficult. See, it's really quiet in here right now, isn't it? But see, what he's saying is, he isn't saying, because I want you to be miserable. I want you to be horrible. He's saying that if you will do this, you will live in a dimension of love that the world knows nothing about. He's saying that's why it's a hard, it's a hard saying. Because he's telling you something that is against our human nature to do. It's not our human nature to love enemies. You know, another place here in, in Matthew chapter 7, he says, Judge not that you be not judged, condemn not you be, be not condemned, John. Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 and 2. And then he says, why do you behold the mote that's in your brother's eye? How many have heard this passage? And you don't behold the beam that's in your own eye. Get the beam out of your own eye, then you can see clearly to take the mote out of your brother's eye. Now, a mote is like a sliver. And when he talks about your eye, he's not literally talking about your eye, but what he's saying is that there's something in your brother's eyes that's keeping him from seeing clearly. There's something in your brother's eye that's keeping him from seeing clearly. Why are you beholding it? Get the beam out of your own eye. The fact that you are beholding it means you've got a beam, you got a beam in your own eye. That's why it bothers me when all these people are crit criticized, you know, preachers, like I just saw this post this last week where this lady was criticizing Kenneth Copeland. And saying all kinds of terrible things about him. I thought to myself, I really believe that God is so displeased with that. Because he's not your servant. He's God's servant. I remember I was talking to a guy one time and I said, I just don't think it's our place to criticize another preacher or another Christian. We should just zip it. I don't think it's our place. And this person said to me, yeah, but Paul called people's names. Yeah, but I said, Paul started those churches. He, was, he had authority in those churches. He was a guide or he was, a, he was an apostle to those churches. He had authority there and he was correcting a church that he had started. He's not talking about some Yehu, I was trying to think of a word, sitting in his basement in his underwear, tapping out crummy little emails, correcting everybody that he doesn't agree with. How many follow what I'm saying? That's not what that verse means. I heard, I heard a guy one time, he wrote this open letter to Joel Osteen, where he criticized Joel Osteen. I like Joel Osteen. I mean, do I agree with everything? I don't agree with, me and my wife don't agree with everything. What do you mean, do we agree with everything? What has that got to do with anything? We don't agree, I don't agree with anybody. And I'm right. Right? But then this guy went on to say, I, I criticized him with this open letter they published. I criticized him because I loved him. I said, that's not, that's not it, buddy. Because the Bible says, 
By this shall all men know that what? You are my disciples if you have love for each other. The judge of whether that act was an act of love is not you. You don't get to judge your own actions. All men. So would all men stand on the sidelines and go, yeah, I believe, I believe you writing a letter to the whole body of Christ, criticizing another preacher, yeah, I believe that's an act of love. Would all men say that? I hi- highly doubt that. Now, that doesn't mean that you don't correct people, but there's a way you do it, right? And if we do correct somebody, it's in the context of so much love that even people that stand on the outside go, yeah, it was a correction, but there's so much love that this guy shows toward that guy. I know it was an act of love. But you can't just cold cock somebody and say that was an act of love. All men are not going to say that was an act of love. Right? And so we have, I, think, I think this stuff displeases Jesus. Someone says, yeah, but there's, there's error and i got to correct error. How do you know that you see everything clearly? I mean, come on! I mean, I do, of course. But how do you know that you do? Right? I mean, that is, to me, the epitome of arrogance to, to go around and correct everybody because you're saying, in essence, that I see clearly. We don't know if you see clearly. You don't even know if you see clearly. That's why Jesus said, he said, get the beam out of your own eye. Because when you are fault-finding, always looking for faults in people, you've got a beam in your eye. There's something, you're not looking at this right. That's not what your calling is. But I think that there are times when we have to correct people, but it's in the context of incredible love. So you should send them about $20,000 as an offering and then send them a letter. I just want to give you this $20,000. So if you want to correct me, just go, you can do that. Just want to put that thought in your brain right now. If you want to send me a check, you know, for that, then you have a little word of correction. You're not funny, not even a little bit. I'll take that. I'll take that fine. But that's what I'm saying. He's saying the gate is narrow. Jesus is the only way. But the way is hard because it's against human nature. I mean, my nature is... How many know it's easy for you to see where someone else is missing it? Isn't that true? I mean, you come up to me afterwards, I'll tell you where you're missing it. If I know you, I got a list. Now, I I don't keep it with me, but it's on file here. Right? And you do too, so don't look at me like that. Don't look at me piously. You have a list too. You have a list in your mind where this person needs to straighten up. And there are some things that they probably should do. I mean, sometimes, you know, like, oh, boy, I have a lot of things I could say right now. <laughs> you know, I remember, do you guys want to hear me rant a little bit? Okay, one person. You guys don't want to hear it? <laughs> okay, so um, I remember one time this person came to me, and they, it was, and they had financial trouble. And, um, and so they were talking to me. And see, I, I kind of knew they had financial trouble, kind of noticed that they did. And I also noticed all their kids had cell phones. Now, we have, all of us have cell phones. So I know how much all of these cell phones cost. I don't know how it is, but they seem, how, seem like that, that telev- tel- telephone company can figure out a way to make every phone cost $100 a month. So if you have four phones, it's going to be $400 a month. I don't know how they do it, but they figure out a way. You guys are quiet. So you, maybe you don't pay that much. Good for you. Tell me later how you got off paying less than 100 I mean, it might be a little bit less, but it's 85 90 But I didn't let my kids, you can ask them, I didn't let them have cell phones until they were 18. And I had their friends even saying to me, well, actually, Steffi had hers at 17, but, but she was driving, and I wanted her to have one. But, but, uh, but the boys, I didn't let them have it until they were 18. I had their friends asking me, could he get one? Could he get one? And I'm going, no, nah, I don't think so. And there's a lot of pressure, but I just kept saying no. And so my question is, why does your eight-year-old have a, has an iPhone, a brand-new number seven or eight, whatever the number is now, XP or whatever, Z, ZD, whatever. Why does your eight-year-old have a Z and then you have five? Come on! 
Thank you for your enthusiasm. Maybe you should pick a different. See, I have all these, all these suggestions for you <laughs> to help you out of your financial crisis right now. See, so, but, but that's my point, okay? So um, what was I talking about? <laughs> oh, so the way is hard. The way is hard because it's against human nature. Some people say, well, I need a financial miracle. Maybe you need some financial planning. Well, I didn't want to hear that. Maybe you need to take a different way. Well, I didn't want to hear that. Well, maybe you do. Instead of, instead of Jesus being the solution, maybe Jesus is the way. Right? And so here's my point. My point is, is that there is a way that, you, that will lead to life and there are people, because it's against human nature, because human nature is, I mean, have you ever been kind of like, um, a lot of people, they spend, uh, they spend money as a way of therapy. And, and, and our society makes it so easy. We have this little plastic thing. And so there's immediate gratification. You know, just whip that baby out. So yeah, just start buying, buying, immediate gratification. But guess what? At the end of the month, now what are we going to do? I couldn't have spent $5,000. I mean, we don't carry a balance. We, we pay our pay up. We don't, we, don't, we don't owe anybody anything. We have no debt whatsoever. And we have a credit card, but we pay it up every month. But I've had people come to me and say they had like 25000 credit card debt, and, they had, and their interest rate is like 16%. I'm just like, I can't even get my mind to think that way. I can't. So don't be mad if, you, if that's you. But I, didn't, I don't know anybody. If it is you, I don't know that it is you because I don't know of anybody that has that. But I've heard of somebody that had that. You understand what I'm saying? But maybe, so I, they say, I need a financial miracle. Maybe you need a different way. It's just a thought. Just want to drop that little thought in your head. Maybe you need to take a little different path right? Well, I just believe God meets all my needs. I don't think God can keep up with your spending. I mean, he could, but I don't think he wants to. I think he wants you to learn something different. So let me just kind of bring this to a close. My time's up. I'm glad you still came to church today. Three people. Okay, good. So here's the thing. Let, let me, I got several pages left of notes. But um, let me see what I can glean out of here. Um, so the thing about it is, I always tell people, you got to figure out what do you, where do you want to go? What, what do you want to be? I mean, you got to decide what you want to be. You want to be a, I want to be a godly husband. I want to be a godly father. I want to be a mentor. I want to, you, you know, you give a description of where you want to go what you want your life to be. Because before you define the destination, you can't really determine the course, right? Otherwise, it's sort of, because an undefined life is really frustrating. You've got to define where do you want to go. I want to be financially stable. I want to be, and, and just have a, you know what they say, they, this book I read one time is by Stephen Covey, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And there's a chapter in there where he said, that you're supposed to do this mental exercise where you actually plan your own funeral. It's like you, in your mind, you go, because how many know that someday you're going to have a funeral? Yeah, we're going to have a funeral on you someday. I mean, I don't know if I'll be there when you, the funeral is, but someday we're going to have a funeral on you. And so when that day comes, that we have this funeral for you, what do you want people to say about you? I don't want people to say, well, Steve, you could always see me driving around with a little red car. I heard, I heard that one time at a funeral. Well, he was always driving around his little red whatever. I'm going, that's it? You, when, you, when, you can, when you can come up with what you want people to say about you, that's your values. That's what you want. That's what, you're de that's what you want as a destination. And when you got that, as a, you want to say he's a very giving man. He was a great mentor. 
I remember I heard this story about a guy. He was a football coach, and he wasn't really, was, didn't seem like he was well-known. He wasn't like an NFL football coach. He was a smaller school football coach. And he said, this guy that was telling the story, he said, this, this guy, he said, I was a real broken person. I came in contact with this guy for just a few years, and he said it was a, it, he radically changed my life. And he goes, I always felt bad because he always seemed like he went to a small church and he had kind of like a small platform. And, and he was such an amazing guy. He goes, I wish that everybody could be exposed to this guy. That's what he used to think. And so he got a call one time that this guy had died. This football coach had died. And he goes, ah, oh, nuts. Because he kind of felt bad that the guy didn't have a bigger platform because he was such an amazing guy. And so they called and asked him if he'd share something at the funeral. And so he said, sure, I will. So he was thinking that the funeral was going to be at this little church that he went to. And I think that's where they originally planned it. But then they didn't even understand his impact. And so finally, people, he kept getting called back every few days, saying, we had to change the venue. We're now going to be at the school auditorium. And then they changed it again because people kept showing interest. And so the day of the funeral, get this, the day of the funeral, they had to have the funeral out in the stadium, the fo- out in the football stadium, the college football stadium, because, and when he walked up, he couldn't believe there must have been 30,000 people there. And they had news cameras there, and they had all these reporters there, because this man who lived what seemed to be a simple life had made such a huge impact upon the world. And so what what I'm trying to say is that you have to decide where do I want my life to go? And you're never too old to make a decision where I want my life to go. And it's very important that you do that because that determines the habits that you put into your life, the course that you're going to take. See, a lot of times what we have is we have good intentions when we approach things, but we just don't follow through. And really, I said this to you, I think I said it last week, little things are big things. You know, like people that get hung, strung out on drugs, they didn't get there. They didn't start, like one day they're just sitting there and they're kind of a disciplined person. All of a sudden, next day they're strung out on heroin. It doesn't work that way. They started to take something, an introductory drug, and that was a decision. And then they just kept making decisions, decisions, decisions. They just kept down a course and they didn't alter that, that direction until one day they found themselves at a place to go, I, don't want, I didn't want to be here. And the same is true with good decisions. Good decisions lead us to a place that we want to go. Amen? So as I close here, let's have the worship team come. And uh, let me, I really didn't get into this very good. I meant to finish this sermon today, and uh, I really didn't do a very good job of finishing it. But it's, it's such an important point. Even though we believe in miracles and we believe that God does rescue operations, he brings solutions to problems, but we have to understand that his highest good is that we walk, that we take a course that leads to life. Amen? All right, let's all stand together. I'm going to end this. Amen. Praise God. Praise God. Thank you, Lord. So let me ask you just two questions. First of all, do you have any idea where you want to go? Everybody should say, yeah, I know where I want to go. Maybe you don't know everything, but you know some things. I want this for my life. I want this for my relationships. I want this for my inner life, my spiritual life. I want this. And when I first got saved, one of the things I did was I started praying one hour a day. I'd read my Bible, pray one hour a day. And it was, it was a hard discipline to develop, but actually, if I look back on my life, I go, that one discipline and habit that I formed 
had an amazing impact on the trajectory of my life. Now, I'm not suggesting you should do that, but I'm saying if you have a desire to be spiritual or have a desire to, to have a relationship with God, you've got to do something that falls in the category of a habit that you would develop every day I do this. I told you this last week that Jesus, that Jesus, every Sabbath, which is Saturday, he went to the synagogue. You go, where is Jesus today? Well, we do it on Sunday, but if it was Saturday, we go, where is Jesus? He's in the synagogue somewhere. Never missed. It says as his custom was. That means as his habit was. He didn't miss church. And he had a routine. In fact, like I said to you, when Judas betrayed him, Judas knew where he was. Not because Jesus said, hey, Judas, when you bring the soldiers, I'll be in the Garden of Gethsemane. He didn't say that. It says that Judas knew where he'd be because he off went there to pray. He goes, I know exactly where he is. Right now, I know where Jesus is. And he brought the soldiers right to Jesus. And you'll see this about people. It doesn't mean that their whole life was is regimented to the point of suffocation. It doesn't mean that. But there are certain things that they do. Like if you, you want to have a great relationship with your wife, don't wait until it's blowing up and then try to get a solution, but do something like have a, have a date night. Bring her to McDonald's. <laughs> that would be not a plus. That would be a negative. Right? I don't know. I, you guys all know my wife. She loves to eat in these uh, outdoor cafe with these hard, hard rock tables and with all these bugs. And I don't know. I'm like more like, let's go eat it. No, I, I don't eat at McDonald's. We did go to um, some place. I can't remember. The, it was a fast food place because they, they had a playground for the kids. Play, play area. The grandkids had a playground. Not, not the older kids. <laughs> but my point is, they sucked us in. But my point is, is that develop, whatever, you wanna, whatever area you want to prosper in, you've got to develop habits that are related to that area. I mean, if you want to get in shape, well, what are your habits? What are, you, what are your habits going to be? It certainly isn't going to eat Twinkies. And I'll just say, right, you know, we don't have a, a lot of people here today, and we have a lot of treats. So I tried to stay away from the whole eat sweets thing because we need to get these, we, we need to get these sweets eaten up. We got a lot of them. So everything I said about your diet, forget about that until tomorrow. Or no, tomorrow we're gonna have we're gonna have hot dogs and hamburgers and because it's Memorial Day. But I'm, forget about all that till Tuesday. Then we'll go back to eating at the eating at the tofu place, you know, or something, you know. But see, so I, I really want you to think about that. Where do I want my life to go? And some people always think, well, I'm gonna get to that. And then 20 years later, they. Things have blown up and they never got to it. So get to it right now. Get to it. Right? Get to it right now. And you're going to have to make some hard choices. I mean, you're going to have to, in some cases, I think that social media probably ruins some, affects some, neg some lives negatively. I mean, I think some of it's okay. I mean, it's, really it is. I'm not on social media Maybe it's not okay, but I just think it's okay. I mean, I don't know. But I do know that it's everybody's highlight reel. You know, it's like, look at where we are. Eat your heart out, you know. I do realize there's some of that. And look at where you are. We are having fun and you are not. But sometimes, don't you think that some of it, I mean, I know people that wake up in the middle of the night and check their, Social media. Don't you think some of it's a little bit? We should probably fast just social media for just a little while. See if we can break the grip that it has on us. Not all of us, because some of us don't. But what do you guys think? 
See, I, there's not a lot of enthusiasm for that one, is there? Okay, I'm, I'm going to quit. But anyway, so what I'm trying to say here is, is that, so first of all, you've got to decide what, what good habits am I going to develop and then decide what bad habits am I going to break. Because there are some bad habits that we develop that put us on a pathway that is not the destination that we want to go to. If we're arriving at wrong destinations, it's we're, on, we're on a wrong road. But we can get off this road and we can get on a different road, right? And with God's help, we can do it because God, fruit of the Spirit is self-control. So let's pray. Let's, um, let's sing this song and then we'll pray together. Go ahead, girl. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing to you. Pleasing to you. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing to you, my God. Please. 
Praise God. Well, let's lift our hand one more time. Tell God how much he means to us. Thank you, Lord. We just love you today. Thank you, Lord, that you are in us, that you enable us to do what we couldn't do in ourselves, Lord. We just thank you that we are dominated by divine love, Lord. We just thank you, God, for that. Hallelujah. Praise God. Isn't God good? Well, I hope you have a tremendous Memorial Day celebration and with all the relatives, the hot dogs and the whatever. Thank God for our country and the people that serve. That's very important for us to remember that and uh, remember to pray for our country. Also, we're going to have prayer counselors. Please come forward at this time. And um, so if you need prayer for anything, please come forward. If you're trying to start a new habit, you need prayer for that. This would be a good time to ask them to pray for grace over your life. Whatever your need might be, uh, just let them pray for you. Amen? Praise God. And we have some delight, delightful things out there. We really do. And lots of them. Lots. Lots. So please join us for some fellowship in the back. Praise God. God bless you all. Have a great week and you're free to go. And I want you to know that He can give you today a new future. We hope this message has been a blessing to your life. A copy of this message and additional Destiny Church materials are available at destinychurchexit77.org.